This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. It's another amazing day here. Hopefully, maybe you're tuning in on WZXI. You can catch the Andrew Cooperwriter Show Monday through Friday on WZXI at 9 a.m. Or maybe you're listening on Facebook, Rumble, Twitter, YouTube at 1 o'clock. Or maybe on any major podcasting platform, you can also catch the Andrew Cooperwriter Show there, such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, and iHeart. You can catch episodes at 1 o'clock there as well. But regardless of where you're listening at, I do ask that you make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe. So if you're listening on the radio, you share by telling others to make sure they tune in every day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. If you're listening on uh, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, you or, or Rumble, you share it, you subscribe to the channel. That's how you help out there. You, maybe you leave a comment if you want to. I do read them occasionally. Uh, or if you're listening to this on the podcasting platforms, leave a review if you can. Make sure you subscribe to the show on there if you can. And then just like the radio show listeners, please make sure you tell others. Reach out to them. Let them know. And as always, if you want to reach out to the show, you can email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. Well, we've got a big show for you today. We're going to cover a little bit more about what happened in the uh, Joint Judiciary Committee hearing on uh, Friday, this past Friday, because there wasn't just that red flag gun law heard. There were some other pieces of legislation, some other things we learned that I think bears discussion that we'll have a conversation about. Um, we'll talk a little bit about what Rand Paul, he, he, he made a video for that session as well. We'll talk about what he talked about there. Uh, but first, we've had a interesting little kind of candidate switch up in northern kentucky this happened last week but I'd remiss if i don't comment on it remember northern kentucky is kind of known as is being a mecca center where some of the most uh quote-unquote conservative liberty whatever you want to call it state ha uh representatives come from you know priorly we've had we've had uh senator marion proctor or senator representative proctor representative rawlings uh, Representative Maddox, Representative Rayborn, Representative Doan, um, you know, uh, just just some really great Liberty good legislators out of there. And then on the Senate side, we've had Cinder Schickel up there. Well, it was announced that Cinder Schickel is uh, saying he's not going to run again. So that created an open seat. So we've seen a little switch up where we've seen Representative Rawlings, who uh, won his representative seat two years ago in a primary in, in 2022, in a primary against Ed Massey. Um, Ed Massey, of course, got the seat when Adia Wishner, current uh, director of Kentucky Right to Life, she pulled what we call the old switcheroo. And so what happens here is she announced uh, just, just real close to the filing deadline uh, that she would be not running for re-election like 
the day of, I believe. And it really only left time for Ed Massey to file to run because uh, he was obviously already aware of this. Uh, so he files his papers real quick after she announces. And then there was no primary. He automatically gets the seat because, of course, they couldn't get anybody else up there to challenge him in time. And he held on to that seat for a little bit until he was primaried by uh, Representative Rawlings. And he beat, uh, you know, Rawlings beat Ed Massey like a redhead stepchild. Uh, it, it wasn't particularly close. It was like 65 to 35. Like it, it was a little bit of a blowout, especially when it comes to incumbency there. Uh, it was pretty extreme. And so, <clears throat> but with Schickel leaving, uh, Rawlings has filed to run for the Senate. Uh, and a, a gentleman by the name of TJ Roberts, uh, known to us well in the Liberty Circles, uh, has thrown his hat into the ring to run. TJ's known as kind of a, he's a little bit of a firebrand to say the least, but he is of course, very conservative. Uh, he's so he's thrown in to run for that representative spot. And then, uh, interesting enough though, Ed Massey has already filed before Schickel announced or, or before Rawlings announced he'd be running for Schickel seat. Ed Massey has already filed to try to take that seat back. So should be some very interesting elections going on there in Northern Kentucky. Uh, you know, I don't know if Rawlings will get a challenge in that primary or not. It's difficult seat to challenge somebody like Rawlings on. He's already endorsed by representative Proctor, of course. And most of that Senate seat is it's like, 90% Boone County and then 10% outside of Boone County. And of course, Rawlings is covers half of Boone County. Uh, uh, Proctor covers the other half of Boone County. And then there's, you know, uh, a percentage that is outside of Boone County. And so pretty much everybody uh, that the, the Senate district covers, it's either him, his current district, or he's Rawlings is endorsed by any representative that covers that Senate district. Uh, so I don't know if anybody even challenges Rawlings. Um, there's been some talk that Sal Santoro, prior House rep, that Representative Proctor actually beat in a primary two years ago, might be looking at running, though if I was him, I wouldn't do it. And I'll tell you why. You lost to uh, Marion Proctor in a primary when you were the incumbent. And Massey lost to Rawlings when he was the incumbent. Clearly, the, the apparatus and groups behind people like Rawlings, like Proctor, are better than you in that area in the first place. If you can't beat them in a house race as an incumbent, right, smaller race, why do you think going, expanding out into a district where, once again, they've already proven they can win two house seats at one time as well. It'd be something different if this apparatus was maybe two different years. You're like, well, they can only handle a house seat, which is about a third the size of a Senate seat, but they've already shown that they can beat people in primaries in three seats at the same time. There's enough apparatus in Northern Kentucky to be able to run a Senate race, to win in a Senate race, even against an incumbent, let alone in an open seat like this, I wouldn't be running against Rawlings. There's there's just no way. I just don't see how anybody else could win that. Uh, Rawlings should be able to take that that race between Ed Massey and TJ Roberts. So will be very interesting as that becomes an open seat. And speaking of primaries, uh, longtime listeners of the show will remember 
that Michael Adams in a recent um, interview with the Herald leader had talked about making our primaries open seats. And I, and I saw something on Twitter that I thought really deals with why in Kentucky, keeping our primaries closed is so important. So for those of you unaware in Kentucky, if you want to vote in the Republican primary, you have to be a registered Republican. If you want to be a Democrat, vote in the Democrat primary, you have to be registered Democrat. Now, some states don't have that requirement. You show up to the polls, they ask, do you want a Democrat ballot or Republican ballot? You tell them, then they give you that primary. Now, I believed in closed primaries because I do not believe it should be anyone outside of the Republican Party and Republicans or Democrats in the Democrat Party that get to pick who represents your party on the general ballot. There shouldn't be anybody but Republicans or anybody but Democrats who get to weigh in on that because those are the people they're saying this Republican best represents our Republican views. This person best represents our Democrat views. And so there's this uh, tweet here from a Brent Peabody. You don't know him. I don't know him. It just came across my Twitter. It had some, you know, 22 comments, 53 retweets, 270 likes. So it wasn't just like a, like a random five tweet, five like tweet or something. Just, I don't know him, but it came across it and he said, yeah, he's very far left liberal. And this is what he had to say. He said, like many Dems, I believe Trump is an existential threat to our Republic. And I live in an open state where I can vote in GOP primaries. I'll be exercising that right next year to vote against him. At worst, it will lengthen the GOP primary and help Biden. And so basically what he's saying is, is, Hey, we are Democrats in states that have open primaries. Let's get the Democrats together to go ahead and work against Republicans and try to push forward, lengthen the, the Republican primary. So they spend more money, uh, try to get a Republican elected. Maybe that, uh, we think, uh, is the worst against Biden or something like that, so on and so forth. And in these presidential primary years like this one, where you have an incumbent president like Biden, no, Nobody's challenging him really on the primary ballots that are serious. So therefore, it frees up Democrats to meddle in Republican primaries. That is exactly why Kentucky needs to be keeping our primaries closed. Well, coming up after this, uh, we've got a few things that we learned at that Senate hearing, as I talked about. Uh, we'll be covering what we learned there uh, outside of car issues, outside of red flag gun laws. Uh, after this short break, you're listening to the Andrew Kubrider Show, your source for Kentucky politics. As always, you can go ahead and leave your questions and concerns at uh, info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. You know, Friday went on down to Frankfurt for that red flag gun law hearing in the Judiciary Committee and. I showed up there about 8.45, so 45 minutes after the door opens, a full hour and 15 minutes before the hearing was set to start. And when I walked in, um, I was the first, I believe, maybe second at the high side, uh, uh, pro-2A, pro-protecting our Second Amendment rights person there. Otherwise, the place was full already with 60 or 70 or so 
moms demand action for gun control and I support car t-shirt wearing people. And apparently these people had showed up at 8 a.m. lined outside the door and then uh, made sure to fill the initial hearing room uh, with individuals wearing the shirt saying, I support car, I demand action because they wanted to make sure that the legislators saw that there. And then also as well, they, but once I showed up, I showed up, like I said, about eight 45, hardly anymore. There was hardly, there was hardly no one else, uh, from that side of things that showed up that I support car moms demand action people. And when you went into the overflow rooms and the hallways, uh, after, of course that was, that was done. The vast majority of people end up being pro two a, in fact, uh, probably at, uh, you know, nine 50, 10 minutes before the hearing was set to start. Uh, we maybe had, it was maybe 30, 70, 70% them, 30% us. By the time the hearing was over, you looked around and so much of the pro second amendment people showed up. It was actually about 50, 50 support. But early on, I was talking to some people and they wondered, they said, why is it that the left, these, these mom demand action, liberal clowns, uh, these people that want to take away your second amendment rights, why are they so much better organized than us. And keep this in mind. I mean, the only reason there was people probably there at all in a push for people to show up at all was because uh, myself and a few others, private individuals who aren't a part of organizations that aren't funded into doing this, just people who care and give to cares <laughs> about uh, our constitution, about our state, about the laws being pushed forward, paid attention, got that out there and, and was able to encourage some people to show up. That was the most amount of coordination possible. But yet here, these people are, they're showing up right at 8 AM. They're busing people in probably from other States. Uh, they've got t-shirts rate made for them. I mean, a t-shirt costs 15, 16 bucks or so to make. They start handing uh, those shirts out to people that got a shirt for everybody that showed up. Um, you know, why were they so much better organized than us on the other side? And it's for a number of reasons. One is obviously anytime that one side has farther to go, because, because think about this right here in Kentucky, if you want to see more pro two a laws passed, there's only really one or two or three more laws that we need to get done. One would be uh, a campus carry, which would allow uh, students who can legally carry firearms to do so on public universities. So like if you've got a UK student who's 21, they can now open or conceal carry while on campus. Um, so that would be one to kind of get past the, the other bill that you could get past would be maybe a bill to, um, and there's some bills, some state, have done this where they've, uh, if you, if you, you can manufacture the gun and sell the gun to only other Kentuckians, but you can sell, uh, automatic weapons and suppressed weapons, but only to, uh, only if they're made in Kentucky and then sold to somebody who lives in Kentucky. Uh, there's been some States that have done something along these lines. It's kind of being felt out in the courts, whether or not how legal that is exactly, but that is an option. That is something to kind of get past. We got a second amendment sanctuary ish bill passed. We could do something a little bit harsher too, as well, a little bit more forward. Um, we could do a little bit more to kind of improve 
approach general encroachment by Louisville and Lexington cities, especially, but there's not as much to do compared to if you're this gun control advocate, well, you've got a long road to go. I mean, you're, we are marching in the other direction. So you've got to one stop the march. Then at the same time, try to get other things back, you know, try to, uh, uh, you know, increase by time licensing for this or that, uh, take away constitutional care. I mean, right now in the state, anybody can legally conceal carry a firearm, you know, you've got to push back against those things. So because you have a longer fight to go, it's, it's more of a thing that people coalesce around and can get more organized around and quote unquote, get more excited about. That's part of it. But there's another part of this too. And that is to do with the fact that quite frankly, the Republican party of Kentucky uh, is just not very conservative and does not work well with the conservative grassroots. And you would hope maybe we see something different under Robert Benvenuti, the new chair of the Republican Party of Kentucky. But Mac Brown, the outgoing chair, was discovered in that car hearing, had wrote a letter of support for this red flag gun law. So we find out within just a few weeks of Mac Brown saying, okay, I'm going to step down as chair. We find out that the guy uh, is very willing to publicly say he hates Trump. We should all move on for it. Despite the fact that Trump is supported by 85% of Republicans in Kentucky, but Mac Brown says we need to move on for that. Leave Trump behind. Forget about him. You know, despite the fact too, that Trump gave the uh, majority to us in the state legislature we find out that he's uh, uh, not as pro-life as he always pretended to be, that he believes in exemptions and, and everything else as far as it goes. And, and he's more liberal on that aspect and believes we have to be too as well, simply for electoral reasons, not because he actually believes that abor abortion is murder or anything. Um, you know, we find out he's super big war hawk, continually pushing to fund more and more wars overseas. And now we find out that the guy's not even for the Second Amendment, that the guy is for gun control. He's not a Second Amendment advocate. So literally, um, you know, we find out he's not very fiscally conservative, sending money overseas. Uh, we find out he uh, is in a, not very pro-life. We find out he hates Trump. And we find out he is not for protecting our Second Amendment. He wants to pass red flag gun laws in Kentucky. And then we wonder why a Republican grassroots sucks. It's because the Republican Party of Kentucky at the state level, not everybody, but the state level kind of sucks. They're not very conservative. They do not have a very conservative leadership apparatus. When you start looking at the chairs of the districts and, and kind of the state level people, and then as well as like the district chairs, you get down to the county level, it's county by county. They could either be very conservative or very not. But when you start looking at districts, it just sucks. It's just really not very conservative people. All ex-McConnell staffers, people who sponsor bills like, uh, you know, a commission on race and access to equal opportunity, um, you know, people who vote down uh, legislators that are district chairs or vice chairs that vote down good pieces of legislation that that want to transit kids believes in that liberal social ideology, so on and so forth. But also too, the, the, the Republican Party of Kentucky just doesn't get along with their grassroots. And so in turn, the DNC, the Democrat Party, they get along very well with their grassroots. Their grassroots are very well funded. The same people that will show up to rally for the DNC are the same people that show up to rally for Moms Demand Action are the same people that show up to rally for trans rights, whatever that means, are the same people that show up to, to rally for LGBTQ kids, whatever that weirdo stuff is. The same people. 
And if you think I'm wrong, I'm not. I've literally stood across the picket lines from the same people, the same, uh, you know, doing counter protests, the same people, the same people that are pro They're They're all the same people. It's literally the same. It's because I don't know if they're paid, they have so much free time or what have you, but you start looking into it and you see that these groups like Moms of Man Action, like Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, like others are very well funded and they're connected by Democrat donors. And it is because the DNC is perfectly fine by saying, especially in Republican states, feel free, wreck havoc. Here's money. We don't care if we're in control or not. Let's wreck havoc. But the Republican Party of Kentucky, especially, if they can't be in control of it, it really appears like they want nothing to do with it. And this is a top-down problem. And we need a state that is being led from the bottom up when it comes to the Republican Party. I mean, this is a really big problem. Let me let me tell you how this manifests itself. So let's take, um, you know, the official Kentucky Federation of College Republicans, KFCR, Kentucky Federation of College Republicans, okay? University of Kentucky actually spoke at the Young Republican Club uh, at UK. The guy who used to be uh, the chair there, I believe his name is Jacob Patterson. I believe is his name, Jacob Patterson. Fantastic guy, but he graduated. He moved on. Uh, nobody really picked up the mantle. The last time the University of Kentucky Young Republicans has posted anything on Facebook was on 2021. I literally couldn't find a Twitter for them. The official Kentucky Federation of College Republicans hasn't posted on Facebook since 2022. The official Kentucky Federation of College Republicans Twitter page has only retweeted for the past several years. They've literally posted one original post since like this entire year. Otherwise, they just retweeted uh, a general Republican Party of Kentucky accounts or Daniel Cameron or things like that which tells me that um, there's not an apparatus creating content for that. Somebody just has that account and is retweeting it. So there's, there, it's not there. It's non-existent. You know, you've got literally the entire apparatus to feed volunteers, interns, um, to, 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 you know, influence the next generation of Kentuckians. So that way Republicans can remain in office, not just for 10 years, but for 20, 30, 40 years. So real conservative work can get done. You know, the, the, the work that needs to go into places like Lexington, you need volunteers, you need young conservatives who feel strong about if you want to get these liberal areas like Lexington, like Louisville, under control, start gaining some ground for Republicans. And you don't even have, you don't have a young Republicans chapter in Fayette County. You don't have a, a college Republicans active chapter at the University of Kentucky. You don't have a very active one, uh, young Republicans in Louisville either. And why is that? Why is that? What happens? Well, I'm actually going to, I'm going to continue this story. I'm going to go over why I give you this example of something that happened recently when it comes to college Republicans that perfectly illustrates what is wrong with the Republican party of Kentucky. And, and they need to change it within the next few years. If they hope to maintain being able to be in control here in the state, especially as young voters start to vote more. You're listening to the Andrew Cooper Show, your source for Kentucky politics. As always, if you want to reach out to the show, email info at theandrewshow.com. We'll see you back here in just a few, few short minutes. And you are back with the Andrew Cooper Show. For the break, we're talking about the Republican Party of Kentucky needs to get it together. They need to get their act together. We were talking about how at Friday's hearing, the pro-gun grabbers were a whole lot more organized uh, and, and had a whole lot more funding behind them clearly 
than those of us who were simply fighting as citizens to protect our constitutional rights. And, uh, and as I pointed out, a big part of the reason why is because the Democrat Party, as well as all their activist groups, all work together seamlessly, and they're much more organized compared to the Republican Party of Kentucky, which instead of working with their grassroots, seeks to undermine it and destroy it unless they can be in control of it. But the people that they end up getting in there to be in control of it are absolutely uninspiring. They suck in their horrible organization because, of course, Republican Party of Kentucky apparatus is not valuing competency and skills. They value more so uh, your loyalty to the system. That's why they they want to claim these successes. Really, it's it's Trump who's brought these successes to Kentucky. His extreme popularity has created a new look for the Republican Party here. But if the Republican Party of Kentucky does not get its stuff together now, in 10 or 20 years from now, probably 10 to 15 years from now, we'll see the Republican Party uh, start to lose power in Kentucky, if not before then, because the voters in college, the young voters are coming of age here in Kentucky and they'll start to vote and nobody is going after them. I was pointing out before the break that the official Kentucky Federation of Colleges of Republicans is inactive on Facebook. Uh, they've had one original post since May. Otherwise, it's retweets, which means somebody's just run the place. You know, University of Kentucky College Republicans hasn't made a post on Facebook in in since 2022, late 2020, uh, or sorry, 2021, and is non-existent on Twitter. And then you wonder, well, you know, this is why the young people are going so far left. People say, why are young people so liberal? Well, in Kentucky, a big part of it is because there's nobody messaging to the youth of Kentucky from a conservative standpoint. That should be what the Republican Party is doing, but it's not. To give you an example of what I mean by it will tank something if they can't be in control of it, even if it's successful. Take a look at Murray State University. Once again, much like other universities, had a non-existent college Republicans club. So a very strong conservative there, and I know him well, he worked on my campaign, um, decides to go ahead and get that club going. And in just a few months, the club, because he put effort into inviting people there, because he isn't just a, a, a talker and he isn't just towing the right line and saying the right thing. He's somebody who's actually getting the work done. He's not looking to just throw something on a resume. He's somebody who's working hard because he believes in conservatism. It isn't just Team R versus Team D form. So he works hard. He gets in more. He grows that club so much that in a few months, that club quickly outnumbers any other college Republicans in Kentucky. There are more Murray State College Republicans now than the entire state in just a few months. And of course, the president, who also works for the Republican Party of Kentucky, under control from the party, starts to worry. Because obviously, if they have all the people there, well, they've got all the votes and they can pick and choose who the president of the Kentucky College Republicans are. And so chaos ensues. And lo and behold, within just a few months, so this party started in September, the Murray State College Republicans. By now December, the Murray State College Republicans have now broken off to create their own conservative club at Murray State. <laughs> and disassociate themselves from the Republican Party of Kentucky, from the Kentucky College Republican Federation, because they started to build something, but the person who was building it, well, they weren't in the club 
So let's tank it. Let's get rid of it. Let's ignore the fact that we've done nothing to target to young people. We've done nothing to message to them. We sit around on our butts all day and complain about those who are actually out there doing things. And then when they start to do things, we'll use as much institutional power as we can to get rid of them. And then you wonder, why are these young people in Kentucky so liberal? We're such a conservative state. Well, there's nobody messaging to them. So I hope that they get their act together because somebody's got to start messaging to the youth and convincing them to vote Republican into our future. Now, also on Friday, we heard uh, from Jennifer Decker's got a bill. I guess she's working with Rand Paul on. He had a video statement about the bill, about this uh, bill they're looking at, looking at Kentucky's violent offender statue. Uh, here is Rand Paul's message from that hearing. So, Good morning, Senator Westerfield, Representative Elliott, and members of the committee. Thank you for the opportunity to testify before you today. On February 14, 2022, an armed individual attempted to assassinate then-candidate Craig Greenberg, who now serves as the mayor of Louisville, by firing several rounds of ammunition into a room filled with people. The assailant was apprehended and charged with one count of attempted murder and four counts of wanton endangerment. It was only because of this tragic event that I learned that Kentucky's legal system treats attempted violent crimes differently than successful or completed crimes. The difference is punishment between a violent crime and a nonviolent crime, and it's both staggering and nonsensical, the differences. Under current law, an assailant who successfully shoots and kills another individual with a firearm is required by statute to serve at least 85% of their prison sentence. But if under the exact same circumstances the assailant misses his intended target, current law would allow that assailant to be eligible for parole after serving only 20% of the sentence. We have a duty to protect society from those who act with such reckless abandon or cruelty that an innocent life is put at risk. Only by reviewing real life examples of how our law treats uncompleted crimes can we fully appreciate the unjust, unfair, or improper outcomes of our legal system. For example, I learned of a drive-by shooting in which the assailant shot at a passenger in another car. The assailant missed the passenger but hit the driver in the arm. The gunman pled guilty to attempted murder of the passenger and assault in the second degree of the injured driver. The offender was sentenced to 15 years in prison, but he was released after only two years. That story alone may sound like a miscarriage of justice, but it gets worse. After his release, the offender violated his parole by waving a gun at an individual when driving by the innocent person's home. Fortunately, this particular assailant is back in jail, but our system allowed a clearly dangerous individual to be released from prison back into society after a relative slap on the wrist. In another incident, on February 23, 2022, an innocent woman was out jogging in Kenton County and was suddenly attacked from behind. The attacker attempted to rape the woman, but she resisted. She bravely fought back and fled her attacker, who was later identified and apprehended because investigators found his cell phone at the scene. He pled guilty to sexual abuse and attempted rape. Under current law, this would-be rapist may be eligible for parole, though, after only serving 20% of his sentence because it was attempted rape and not rape itself. Justice demands more than our current laws provide. Our responsibility to the people of Kentucky is to protect them from those who would do them harm. Our current statutes do not adequately punish incomplete, violent crimes. 
Innocent people are put at risk by quickly releasing violent offenders back into society. Please don't misunderstand me. I do not want to disincentivize prisoners from participating in rehabilitative programs that might earn them good time credits. We must accept the reality that most offenders will eventually be released from prison. And we should do everything possible to ensure that these individuals are rehabilitated so that they are able to live independently without posing a threat to their communities. But the law, as currently written, fails to do just that. It treats conduct that could just as easily as resulted in loss of life or serious bodily harm as though it were a misdemeanor. Kentucky law all but assures that violent individuals will quickly reenter society without the opportunity to rehabilitate them. Representative Decker is working on legislation to address these issues, and I look forward to reviewing her proposal. So there's uh, Rand Paul with his video on uh, kind of about Decker's bill. So we're going to dig into Decker's bill kind of up here after the break and, and what the purpose behind it is, some, some good parts behind it, but then kind of a looming issue that I do see in it that I hope gets adjusted and gets addressed. I, cause there's a few things that she said, one specific thing that she said that I think we really need to zero in on and ask ourselves some pretty hard questions when it comes to the justice system. But we'll be talking about that after this short break. You're listening to the Andrew Cooper writer show. And you are back with the Andrew Cooper show before the break. We were listening to a message from Rand Paul that was played at this joint judiciary committee hearing uh, about this bill that they're looking at the reason behind it and, and what they're doing to address some of Kentucky's violent offender statute. Before I dig into that though, I do have a comment on the bill. Uh, you know, I thought at first Rand Paul was supposed to testify and then he ends up just doing a, a, a video, but I am a little disappointed here. And I hope you are too in Rand Paul um, because surely Rand Paul of all people had to know. And if he doesn't know, that this was going on. Now this is on his people, but should have known that a red flag law hearing was going on right before in the same committee before that video. And at no point in the video, does he mention his, uh, feeling of, of his, his amount of, you know, pushback, you know, how much he hates red flag laws. I, I believe Rand Paul does. He voted against safer, Communities Act at the federal level, red flag law incentive package. Um, but at no point in his video does he say, hey, look, and I'm also against red flag laws. Uh, you shouldn't pass car or something along those lines. And I, I would just expect because the video he did cut, it's clear that he's not exactly sure what's in the bill because he says he looks forward to Jennifer Decker's bill, meaning I, I don't think he's read it based upon his verbiage there. And, and so instead of taking that opportunity to also say, and also, by the way, Red flood logs are bad. He doesn't say it. And, and if you can't, you're already slated to testify. If you can't stand up against red flag laws publicly when it comes to state law, Rand, I, I got to ask you to try a little bit harder to stick up and be aware of what's going on here on the ground. Love your votes at the federal level. But if you could help a little more with the grassroots, I think there'd be a lot more uh, overall love out there for you. Just, just, just complete and overall love. I'm not saying... People don't love you. I'm just saying that there would be more excite, even more excitement for you if you were a more active fighter at the grassroots level, like what we see with like Thomas Massey does pretty well uh, with getting more involved with these grassroots level conflicts. You know, um, 
you know, Thomas Massey's state director was at that red flag law hearing. Um, you know, Massey wasn't testifying. They weren't testifying at all. But Chris McCain, Massey's state director, he was there at the meeting. And I'm assuming to make sure that he kept Massey aware of what was going on with this red flag gun law because it was of important to him. So, but what did Rand talk about? Well, he talked about how in Kentucky, um, if you are a felon, if you commit a felony, you are eligible for parole after only serving 15% of the term. However, if it's a violent felony, you have to spend 85% of the term in there. And currently there are some holes in our laws where people who like attempted murder or attempted political assassination, like what happened to, uh, then candidate, but now mayor Greenberg out of Louisville. If you remember, um, he was shot at attempted political assassination by a guy. Um, and because of how our laws are wrote, that guy may get out of prison after only serving 15% of his term. So if he gets sentenced to, you know, 30 years in prison, well, he can get out after, you know, five, <laughs> you know, that doesn't sound like justice at all. Um, and it certainly is not good for rehabilitation either. And, and I think we do got to talk about a difference here because we're going to hear from Jennifer Decker in a minute. There's a difference between justice and rehabilitation. Okay. Uh, justice is what you're doing for the victims. And, and look, you will never have justice for a murder and in a lot of situations for rape as well. There will never be justice there. Um, it just won't happen. Right. Um, but then the other half of our, our quote unquote justice system and longtime listeners of the show know, I believe that these two systems should be split apart. You have rehabilitation and then you have justice and that the justice should come. And then after justice has been served, then we talk about rehabilitation. Um, but anyways, the, the point is, is that if you're saying you have a violent felony, we're saying that. Um, you know, your rehabilitation, we don't want you paroled after a certain amount of time because the, the inclination is if you're good in prison and, and you do all the hard work and you get certificates and you uh, do some work to show that when you get out, you won't return to your life of crime, you are showing that you're quote unquote rehabilitated a lot faster. But of course, we also want justice and attempted murder should come with 85% of your sentence as justice at least, at least. Right. That's what they're talking about. I agree with them hundred percent, but let's listen to what Jennifer Decker had to say about what the bill does. Victim BR 18 adds the following crimes to the current list of violent offenses, burglary in the first degree, as described in the statute. If a person, if a person other than a participant in the crime was present in the building, Burglary in the second degree, as defined in statute, if a person other than a victim uh, or a participant of the crime was present in a dwelling. Robbery in the first degree, as defined in statute, robbery in the second degree. Arson in the first degree, as defined by Kentucky statute. Arson in the second degree, as statutorily defined. And strangulation in the first degree, as defined in statute. So I think we can all agree that most of those are violent crimes. You know, robbery in the first degree uh, has a element of you having to carry a weapon with you. So if you're committing, uh, not robbery in the first degree, burglary, sorry, in the first degree means you're like breaking into a house, but you also have a gun on you, right? So we can assume that if you're a criminal breaking into a house with a weapon on you, you're probably more violent um, than somebody who's breaking into a house not. So that makes sense. 
Um, you know, robbery in the first degree means a weapons involved robbery in a second degree, uh, generally means that there is a threat of force or violence on you or somebody else in order to get you to hand over. So, you know, for an example, if you pull out a gun, say, give me your purse, that's robbery in the first degree. If you say, uh, listen, lady, I'm going to beat your face in unless you give me your purse. Now that's robbery in the second degree, right? But both those have an element of violence to it. Strangulation, of course, violence to it. But it's robbery in the second degree that I have questions about. So robbery in this, not rob, yeah, burglary, sorry, in the second degree that I have questions about. Not robbery in the second degree, but burglary in the second degree. Burglary in the second degree is a crime that has no violence or weapon indicated. So burglary in the second degree is just somebody breaking into your house, period. Um, just if somebody just breaks into your house and robs the place, that's burglary in the second degree. But what Jennifer Decker wants to say is say that burglary in the second degree, if somebody's there, so if somebody breaks into a house and somebody happens to be there, now that should become a violent felony. So we agree that I, I, I pretty much 100% agree that all those other crimes should be violent felonies. 100%. They have weapons, force, violence involved. Horrible. But burglary in the second degree has no necessarily violence included in it. And so going back to what I was talking about, when we're looking at our quote-unquote justice and slash rehabilitation system, we're trying to get justice and then also rehabilitation. Now, if some young kid breaks into your house and steals something and you happen to be there and then they run away, right? What is justice there? Well, when you're getting away from murder and rape and those kinds of crimes, justice is a little bit easier, especially in theft. You know, justice is, hey, pay for all the damages, uh, pay for what you've stolen from us, um, pay for, you know, if, if there's some kind of therapy or something else that needs to go into it, pay for that. And then maybe also a, a fine of, let's say, $10,000, whatever that number wants to be, uh, to that person on top of that for pain and suffering, right? So that's that's pretty easy to kind of quantify to a degree. I get it. It messes with your psyche, but it's easy to quantify. But then on the rehabilitation side, you're saying, hey, look, um, that's actually a crime that's a person can be rehabilitated from. You know, somebody who's going out there and just murdering people willy-nilly or shooting at people going down the road or trying to commit a political assassination probably can't be here re rehabilitated pretty quickly. They're going to need to serve 85% of their sins. But a person who breaks into a house without a weapon, that's a person who can be, I, I would say, is a little bit easier to rehabilitate. Um, because what you'd say is, okay, we're going to send you to jail for eight years. You know, you can get out in a year or two if you do something like, you know, go get a tradesmanship certification, everything else. Uh, and then we agree to a restitution schedule. So you go in there, you get, you get a, you get a trades license to HVAC, let's say, or, or, or plumbing or something or whatever construction. And so you do that. Um, you show you can get a job there and also you agree to a restitution schedule. Well, that person's quote unquote, rehabilitate, they can be reintegrated into society and also give justice to their victims. But with Jennifer Decker, she's saying, no, that person is, if you're saying a person needs to be moved from 15% to 85%, kind of what you're saying is that person is unable to rehabilitate or it's going to take significantly longer to rehabilitate a person and integrate them back into society. But a person who just breaks into a house without 
a weapon or anything else, horrible, awful criminal should be dealt with in that way. I'm not telling you to, to feel bad for that person. Don't do that at all. But the ability of that person to be rehabilitated into society is going to be significantly more than somebody who tries to commit murder. And they shouldn't have a similar um, parole rule about them. That doesn't make sense. So I do have that question. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. I thank you all so, so much for joining me back here tomorrow at uh, 9 a.m. on WZXI, 1 o'clock everywhere else. Have a great rest of your day.